Psalms, would you? To the book of Psalm, chapter 51. In just a moment, we're going to get in the Word of God. But uh, before we do, I want to ask how many of you ladies brought some guests. So in a moment, ladies, I'm going to ask you to give an account and see who has come upon your invitation. We'll dismiss the kids right now. All those kids four years old up through third grade can follow Mr. Peter in the back for children's Bible time. All the children four years old up through third grade, you can be dismissed for children's Bible time. I think fourth grade. Did we say fourth grade and down? Well, anyway, all the kids follow Mr. Peter and uh, get that squared away. But if you ladies brought a guest tonight, in just a moment I'm going to ask you tonight is ladies night. That means all the ladies have been responsible of getting, for getting folks here. And uh, then Tuesday night is ladies night. Tomorrow night, Wednesday night is going to be midnight. So all the men, I want you to work at getting visitors here. And uh, we're doing it with the same point system. Ladies, if they, you got someone to come tonight who was here Sunday morning, they're 100 points. If they were not here, they're 500 points. And if they've come for the first time, they're 1,000 points. So be looking around and seeing who's come for you men work your hardest to get some folks here if I were a man here tonight at this church uh, that was a member I would be standing at the back inviting people to come back tomorrow night so that's just kind of a a little thought that I'm just trying to put in your mind you know and uh, then Thursday night I want it to be family night so let's see if we can get as many family as we can in the service now some of you have family that live in the area and this is a great tool I want you to really work it and and ask the Lord to guide you uh, to people that that are in your family to get them here and use uh, this as a tool to get folks here. Look, one of the reasons we do this is not not for any really special uh, major motivation. We're not giving out free pink Cadillacs or or gold watches, unless Pastor might be. I don't know. Pastor might have that in in his uh, toolbox. But But, you know, we really do this as a tool. If you say to your friends, hey, come here, Dwight Smith, they'll say, "Uh, Dwight who? But if you say, hey, I'm trying to get my family here on Thursday night, and uh, will you be my guest on on Thursday night? Well, then there's a little bit more motivation, and and I want to encourage you to do that and use it as a a motivation to get folks here. So Thursday night is going to be family night. Then Friday night is going to be youth night. That means all the young people are responsible for getting folks here. So uh, let me really challenge you to go after. After, uh, lost and see if you can get some folks here. And then, of course, Sunday is going to be Friend Day. And uh, you don't want to miss out on Friend Day. I guess there's going to be a fall festival here in Whitehall. Is that right? And uh, I've been trying to get a hold of the Chamber of Congress and see if I can talk to him about that on Saturday. We want to set up a table and use that tool to get folks uh, familiar with what's going on here on Sunday. And uh, we say the festival moves over to Whitehall Baptist Church on Sunday morning. Isn't that right? And there's going to be a chili cook-off, and there's going to be all kinds of things going on. And uh, so let's really use that as a tool. I, I'm hoping that we'll be able to meet a lot of people on Saturday and use that as a, as a witnessing opportunity. And uh, so you pray that the Lord will work out those details, and we can do that. But let's be praying for every single night. I want the Lord to do a work. Ladies, if you invited a guest, let me uh, see your hand. If you invited someone to come, and they've come for you, very good. You've got your daughter here. Thank you very much for coming and being our guest. And after the service, you be sure and uh, see me. Let's give her a round of applause. Can we do that? Amen. Let's bow in prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time in his word tonight. Father, thank you for the privilege that you've given me to open up the Bible. Thank you for each person that's here and each person that is gathered. And I pray that Jesus Christ would be honored. I pray that he would be exalted as a result of our time in his word. Help me as I preach, not to preach in my own strength or in my own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And Lord, we'll be careful to thank you for what you do. Lord Jesus, I don't know who's here. I don't know who's present. And I don't know the needs that are present, but you do. And Lord, only you can meet the needs. And we trust you for that. And now I pray in Jesus' name that you would meet those needs. Help us as we gather around the word of God tonight to have open hearts, to focus our attention. Lord, to not let anything distract us and and keep us from getting in the word of God. And Lord, I pray that you will work now and we'll thank you and praise you because we ask this in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. Take your Bible, turn back, if you would, over to 1 Samuel. Would you do that to 1 Samuel? I'd like to preach to you tonight on one of the key characters in the Bible, at least in Israel's history. And I want us to see what God has to say about this one by the name of King Saul. Now, Saul came to power and he came as the he came to the the throne as the first king in all of Israel. And when he did, God began to use him in a mighty way. In fact, the scripture tells us in in first Samuel that he came to power when he was when when he was the uh, king. He was small in his own eyes. He was small in his own mind. He was small in his own understanding. And God used him in a mighty way. But, you know, it wasn't very long in Saul's ministry before we discover that Saul had a real character flaw of selfishness. You know, there's enough selfishness in our own lives to mirror in Saul's life. And we can see in Saul's selfishness how very selfish we have become. I'd like to preach to you tonight on the subject, oh, selfish, selfish Saul. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that he was selfish at the beginning when we first find him in the, in the early, early stages of 1 Samuel. But boy, not very long into it, we see Saul's selfishness. Let's turn over to 1 Samuel chapter number 15, if you will. Would you? 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is going to be one of the classic passages of when Saul fell into sin. 1 Samuel 15, verse 1, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. Now, Amalek is not my focus tonight, but sometimes I'm sure there are those that would read this passage of Scripture and say, you know, how would the Lord ask Saul to do such an awful thing to destroy a whole nation? But you have to remember that way back in the book of Exodus, there was a battle between Amalek, the nation, and Israel, the nation. And Amalek uh, was very much like our modern day terrorists. They didn't go out army to army and soldier to soldier to fight against Israel. They didn't go in a forthright way and fight in an honest upfront way. They waited until the soldiers had passed and the strong men had passed. And then they attacked the hindermost part of the nation of Israel, the older people and the women and the children. And it was a battle that went forward. And it was a battle that God had Moses to hold his hands up. And when Aaron and Hur held his hands up, then the battle would be won. But when he let his hands down, the battle would be lost. And it was a battle that God gave victory to Israel over. But it was so disgusting to God that he said, to to Moses write this battle down in a book and rehearse it in the ears of the people 
And he said, someday I'm going to blot out the memory of Amalek. And God gave them all the way from Exodus all the way to 1 Samuel to get right. He gave them generations to get right. He gave them opportunity, ample opportunity to get right. And you know God does that today. God's mercy is extended to you and to me for a little while. He gives us an opportunity to get right, to confess and forsake our sin. But if we don't, and if we won't, then judgment is going to fall. And so God told Saul, he said, I want you to destroy Amalek. And Saul said, I'm going to do my own thing. Saul goes down there and the scripture says he, he smote Amalek in verse number seven. He smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur. And it, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was all that was good. But and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was that was vile and refuse that they destroyed utterly so ladies and gentlemen i want you to see from the bible several things about saul's selfishness first of all i want you to see that selfishness always leads to disobedience selfishness always leads to disobedience and the scripture says so here in first samuel chapter 15 he's disobeyed the lord but it wasn't the first time that he would disobey the lord look back if you would to first samuel chapter 13 would you first samuel chapter 13 in first samuel chapter 13 it says in verse 1 saul reigned one year and when he had reigned Two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were uh, with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had, had smitten a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was had in abomination with the Philistines, and the people were called together and after Saul to Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth Haven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. The people are deathly afraid. They're afraid of the Philistines. Now they have a leader, which was what they requested. And now they have a king, which is what they wanted. And God told them this would happen in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And he told them through Samuel, this isn't going to be good because now the king is going to tax your, 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 your livelihood. He's going to take your sons and take them to battle and take them to war. And it's not going to be good, but, but they wanted it anyway. And so, so now Saul has an army against uh, the Philistines but they're scared half to death. The scripture says they were distressed. They hid themselves in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in high places, in pits, and they followed him trembling. Now, this isn't a treatise on Saul's leadership or lack thereof, but as a leader, a responsibility of a leader is to put the people that are following him at ease and to inspire confidence and to inspire them into sometimes into battle, to inspire them sometimes into scary situations, but to inspire them. And Saul didn't have that somehow. He didn't have that 
inspiring quality. He seemed to make some wrong decisions. And here the Bible says in verse number eight that he tarried seven days, tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. This was not his responsibility. It was not what Saul was to be doing. The peace offering and the burnt offering was given to the priest, which was Samuel. The burnt offering and the peace offering was given to uh, someone other than the king. And he waited and he waited and he waited. But he said, you know, I can't wait any longer. I've got to take matters into my own hands. And I'm going to do things my way. And I'm not going to follow the orders of the priest and the orders of the preacher. Oh, oh, selfish, selfish Saul. If only you had known that sin, the sin of selfishness, leads to disobedience. And he disobeys in verse number 10. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Well, I guess he could have waited a little longer. I guess Samuel wasn't that far off. I guess Samuel had already begun his journey and was near to to where he was. He was just a little while from arriving back at at the place where the offering was to be made and where he was to be making the offering. Behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. You know, Saul always wanted to meet the preacher and make things look better than they were. In verse number 11, it says, And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me and, and, and that, that thou camest not within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. Hmm. I want you to notice that that selfishness always leads to disobedience. Number two, selfishness makes silly excuses instead of claim, claiming responsibility. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul. If only you had known that Samuel wasn't that far off. If only you had known that your selfishness is going to lead you to disobey the Lord by offering a sacrifice, not your responsibility. In fact, it's only the priest's responsibility. And in doing so, you've disobeyed the Lord. But then when Samuel confronted you, instead of trying to put the best foot forward, you should have said, this is the way it is. Instead of trying to make excuses, you should have said, this is what I've done. Do you know, uh, an excuse I was taught when I was younger is the skin of a reason stuck with a lie. Mr. Hazard was, uh, he, he was our shop teacher in school, and he, he was uh, my homeroom teacher my, my senior year. And uh, Mr. Hazard was from up in the New England area. He said quarter and water, and he never got over it. He never let the Minnesota accent influence him at all, which is somewhat of a tragedy. But anyway, he, he was always, uh, he, he was always uh, just the skin of a reason stuck with if your parents confront you, if they sh- shine the light on some of your actions and, and they show some area in your life that's not right, don't, don't put your best foot forward and try to present yourself as something that you're not. Your parents can see right through it and usually they can see <coughs> it a mile off. Uh, just say, this is what I've done. This is what I've done. It's a whole lot better character quality to own up to your responsibility and to own up to your actions instead of trying to pretend like it's something other than it really is. I want to say that, that, that selfishness always leads to making silly excuses 
and, and claiming responsibility. Look back at his excuse. He goes out so that he can salute him. And Samuel confronts him in verse number 11, says, what, what hast thou done? And Saul said, oh, I, I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. In psychology, we ha- there's a word for that. It's called deflection. Well, it's the Philistines. They were coming, and you weren't here. I mean, what were you doing? You know, frittering away your time. You weren't here, and the people, they were scattered from me. They were going to leave me. And so, so he says, verse number 12, I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal. I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I mean, i got to make this spiritual sacrifice. So he's going to try to cover it all up in spiritual garb. He's wearing his spirituality on his shirt sleeves, trying to impress the preacher. He says, I have not made supplication. It's all the Philistines' fault and the people's fault. And your fault, to be quite honest. I forced myself, therefore. I mean, I didn't want to make this sacrifice. I didn't want to disobey the Lord. But I, I just, I forced myself. You know, it kind of is going right along with Abraham. When Abram was taking Sarai down to Egypt. And, and he said to Sarah, just tell him that you're my sister. And, and you're, not my, you're, you're not my wife. And he just about lost his marriage because of that dirty, filthy sin. And when Pharaoh confronted him, he says, well, well, uh, she is my sister. She's, she's kind of my sister. And, and, and he was mixing up a big lie in there. It's kind of like the, the, what the definition of is is with Mr. Bill Clinton. And you don't really know what it is. You just when you're confronted, you acknowledge that confrontation. You acknowledge your sin instead of selfishly trying to make silly excuses. I forced myself. I, I forced myself, therefore, and, and offered a burnt offer. I just had to take matters into my own hands. Well, the Bible says something the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. The Bible says, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. The Bible says that, that uh, you will be, be led astray by your own heart because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And, and, and so when you've done wrong, And when you've disobeyed the Lord, whether you're a husband or a wife or a church member or a preacher or a kid, if you've done wrong, own it. It'll be a whole lot better in the end. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul. I wish you'd catch yourself. I I wish you'd reverse course. I wish you'd run back to the Lord. I wish you'd go back to being small in your own eyes. I wish you'd be, become, be, be, uh, become modest once again. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul. I wish you'd see that selfishness makes silly excuses instead of claiming responsibility. Look back at, look at 1 Samuel 14. 1 Samuel 14 is one of my favorite chapters in all the Old Testament. It's a great chapter when, it, when Jonathan and his armor bearer look into the uh, Michmash and they say, you know, maybe we could go over and fight. And, and Jonathan says, let's see what the Lord will do. And his armor bearer with great loyalty and with great, with great uh, noble nobility says, uh, come, let us, let you do whatever's in your heart. I'm following you. And Jonathan says, let's go over into the garrison of this uncircumcised Philistine. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there's no restraint to the Lord to say by many or by few. And that's a good verse for any preacher to preach preach on, especially during COVID days. There's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. God can take a handful. He can take what's small and he can do something mighty. But right here in this passage, while Jonathan is working great victory in 1 Samuel chapter 14, the Bible tells us that all of a sudden in verse 15, there was trembling in the host in the field. And among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. 
Uh, verse number 16. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away. And they went on beating down one another. That's, that's the Philistines. Then said Saul unto the people that were with him, Number now, and see who is gone from us. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. And Saul said unto Ahiah, Bring hither the ark of God. For the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. Now, I think this is very interesting. Because what Saul did here in this passage of Scripture harks back to what Hophni and Phinehas did in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and 4. And that is, they tried to use the ark of God for their own advantage. They tried to use the ark of God like a good luck charm, like a lucky rabbit's foot, like rubbing the red-headed, red-headed boy so that you get a little bit more good luck, uh, like keeping your, your horseshoe. I'm sure all of you in the West know you never hang your horseshoes upside down because all the good luck will run out of them. You always keep them uh, right side up. That, that's right. Now, I'm not, that's, not, that's true. We, we understand that. I'm from Minnesota, so I can understand things like that because we believe in people like Paul Bunyan. But anyway, I, I digress. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 14, Saul, what is Saul doing? Now, Saul is, is bringing hither the ark of God. Bring hither the ark of God. Do you know why? Because he doesn't have substance. Let me say that again. He does not have substance. Not at all. Not even a little bit. And I want you to see this just for just a moment. I want you to see in 1 Samuel chapter 14, in verse number 18, Saul said unto Ahiah, uh, Bring hither the ark of God. For the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass while Saul talked unto the priest that the noise that was in the host of the Philistine went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, Withdraw thine hand. Saul, oh, selfish, selfish Saul. If only you'd see that selfishness substitutes form... For substance. Let me say it again. Selfishness substitutes form for substance. Now, you know, there's a lot of people today that do this. It seems to be the way it is. Substance doesn't matter, image matters. Substance doesn't matter, character doesn't matter, form does. You know, the Bible speaks of this in 1 Timothy, and it speaks about those that are in great error in 2 Timothy, and it says they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Do you know, if we're not careful as Christians, we can slip right into that thing of worshiping, going through the motions, and yet we don't have the power. We we don't have the scripture, uh, the devotion to scripture and our daily Bible reading to back it up. We don't have the, we, we don't have a walk with God to back it up. We just have a form. We know how to look good and we know how to act the part and we know how to walk the talk, walk and talk the talk, but we substitute form for godliness. I don't want just form. I want godliness. I can have form without godliness, but I, if I have godliness, then I'll have proper form. You see what the Bible is saying? Here in 1 Samuel chapter number 14, he calls up the ark of God and he brings it there for a good luck charm. And he definitely wants to at least look like he knows what he's doing. And maybe he didn't do everything right in 1 Samuel 13 and that battle, but at least he's going to have the form and look good. And this is all throughout. You'll see it in 1 Samuel chapter 15 in just a moment. He's substituting form for substance i want to ask are you the real deal are you true blue godly 
I was teaching one of my boys a, a Bible lesson recently, and I, and I said, what God expects of us and the criteria for us being judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And by the way, that phrase, the judgment seat of Christ, ought to be something that strikes great fear and great motivation in the heart of every Christian. The judgment seat of Christ. A.W. Tozer said we ought to live with two days on our calendar. Today and that day. The day that we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, everything's going to be revealed for what it really is. And so I was, I was teaching my son. I said, what God's looking for in our lives and the criteria by which he's going to judge us. Well, wouldn't you want to know that? I'm, I'm trying to get my boys ready for a Bible quiz that's coming up over in Laurel, Montana. I'm, I'm trying to help them because they, they haven't really done this before. And so I'm trying to ask questions and I want them to know the criteria by which they're going to be judged. Wouldn't you think that an Olympian wrestler would want to know the criteria, the framework that they're going to be judged by? Wouldn't you think that somebody that would spend their life three or four years pouring seven, eight hours a day into some athletic competition would want to know the criteria that is going to be the basis of their judgment? Here's the criteria by which you and I will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. God is expecting us to be right, to believe right, to do right with the right motive. Let me say that again. God is expecting us to believe right. To be right, to do right with the right motive. And it's going to be revealed on that day, not our form, but our substance. The Bible says all things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that everything shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it because the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Whether it's wood, hay, stubble, that which is done for myself, that which is a wrong belief, that which is done in the power of the flesh, it's going to be revealed. Or whether it's gold, silver, precious stones, that which was done for the glory of Jesus, that which was based upon the truth of God's word, that which was done in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be revealed for what it really is. Hey, folks, don't get your eyes off of the prize and don't get your eyes onto all the glitz and glamour. You know, sometimes it's easy to look at TV and some, see some fancy TV preacher and he's got a whole stadium all packed out and yet he can deny basic doctrines of the Word of God or not even give credence to basic doctrines of the Word of God. And you kind of scratch your head and say, wait, how, wait, what? How is it that that preacher can pack out a stadium and yet my preacher, who I know preaches the Word of God, is struggling to come back from COVID? Don't, hey, don't get your eyes on the Someday everything's going to be revealed. There are a lot of things that are, seem to be inequities in this world, aren't there? I mean, how is it that there's a lady, a young lady that keeps herself pure and chaste and holy and waits for the one that God has for him, uh, for her, and, and, and meets him down at the wedding altar and keeps her life clean and pure and try as they might, that godly couple can't seem to have children. And yet there's another lady who is as loose as a barnyard animal and she's got four or five or six kids from four or five, six different men. That's an, that's an inequity. But mark this. It's not over yet. That's right. Someday God's going to re- reveal things for what they really are. Hear it. Someday God's going to make it known for what it really is. And so you keep your eyes on the prize and you say, by God's grace, I'm going to believe right and I'm going to be right. That's my inside. I'm going to be right from the inside out. Pastor and I were talking this morning and we were talking about how uh, private lives eventually are revealed for what they really are. Sometimes in this life, many times in this life, but they will be revealed on that day. So don't substitute 
don't substitute substance for for form. And that's exactly what for what what Saul is doing. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul. You've substituted form for substance. But look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now Samuel is going to come and confront Saul again. Remember he confronted him, remember, in 1 Samuel chapter 13. He's going to confront him again in 1 Samuel 15. The Lord actually reveals to Samuel that Saul has disobeyed. And he's he's not killed everyone amongst Amalek. In fact, he spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. And he spared Agag. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 10 and 11, he tells Samuel that he's taking away his throne. In verse number 11, it grieved Samuel and he cried unto the Lord all night. When Samuel rose early, it it, it was to meet Saul in the morning. It was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. What? You phony? You counterfeit, selfish, selfish Saul. What are you doing? Verse number 15. And Saul, uh, Samuel said, verse 14, what, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Last I, I, I recall, you don't take sheep down to the battlefield. Verse 15. And Saul said, they, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Let's look and see if that really lines up with the truth. Verse number 9. And Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. Hmm. Well, maybe uh, actually, Saul, you're wrong. Maybe actually you can't blame it on the people. Verse number 16. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? Why did you do this, Saul? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea! I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But, but the people, the people took of the spoil sheep and oxen, the chief of the things, which, which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Are you ready? Saul is now playing the oldest game known to man. The blame game. Selfishness, selfishness, selfishness. Oh, selfish, selfish soul. If only you would have seen that your sin, your selfishness would lead to disobedience. If only you could see that your sin makes silly excuses instead of claiming responsibility. If only you could see that selfishness substitutes form for substance. But selfishness always and eventually plays the blame game. The blame game. Remember that game? It was invented back in the garden. Remember? Uh, Adam and Eve sinned. Eve was the one that, that was in the transgression. The Bible says she was deceived. And Adam, he was in the transgression. He was, he was not deceived. He knew exactly what he was doing. 
And the scripture says that uh, Eve made him a nice chocolate-covered fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, everything just seems better with chocolate on it. And you can just imagine that she had a nice little bit of drizzled chocolate and maybe some strawberries around the side. He says, oh, I know what these strawberries are. Maybe some pineapple. Oh, I know what this pineapple is. Honey, this is really good with, with chocolate. But what's this fruit here in the middle? Oh, he said, come on, honey. There's not supposed to be any surprises between the two of us. What is it? Well, she said, it's that, that, that one tree. Oh, no, we're not supposed to. Oh, she said, but it's better with chocolate. And she said, it's not bad by itself. And go ahead and have some if you would. And so he does. He knew exactly what he was doing. He violated the law of God and disobeyed the law of God. Eve might have been deceived, but he disobeyed. Here comes God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And we're at Adam and Eve. They're hiding, hiding, hiding. If you're hiding, you're not right with God, I guarantee you. If you have to hide your sin. And here they are hiding. And the Lord says, Adam, where art thou? Not because he didn't know. He's an omniscient God and knows everything. He said, Adam, where art thou? Because he wanted Adam to admit where he was. And, and, and Adam said, oh, over here. He said, oh, what? What have you done? Did you eat of the tree? And right away, Adam becomes the founder of the blame game. The woman thou gavest me. You know, it was all fine until you got her into this mess. And now, boy, are we really in a mix-up mess. And it's all your fault. And it's all her fault. And it's not my fault. You know, the blame game, you have, in order to play the blame game, you have to know how to point. It's that person. Not me. Again, what is that? That's deflection. It's turning away from the person who's really guilty. You know, I'm convinced that a lot of Christians come to the Word of God, the mirror of God's Word, and they look at it like this. In fact, I'm honestly, Pastor Inboden, not so sure that many Christians have looked in the mirror in quite a while. Now, you, you know that that is a reality, and that's a possibility when you have kids. <laughs> because sometimes your kids, they don't look in the mirror. And they don't, they, when was the last time you took a bath? Can you get in there right now and you get a bath taken? And, uh, it, but when their kids become teenagers, well, then all of a sudden the mirror becomes a reality. <laughs> and they stand for hours on end and stare in it and flex and do whatever it is they're doing, you know, just for fun, just to just make sure that the beauty hasn't all gone away. And, and now what is Saul doing? He's playing the blame game. He says, they, the people, they're the ones that did it. Ah, why? Because Saul is a very, very selfish man. Notice what the scripture says in verse number 23. Verse 22, Samuel said, At the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. Listen carefully. Do you know what selfishness does? Selfishness achieves your desire, but forfeits your blessing. Selfishness achieves your desire. In other words, it fulfills your lust, but it forfeits your blessing. Saul got what he wanted, but he lost what he had. You know, it might do us well just to sit around and look at what we have. Our spouse. 
our children, our family, our church, our job, our health, and then get down on our knees and thank God because we don't deserve any of it. And then get up off of our knees and live a life that is circumspect and holy lest we lose all of it. I'm speaking to someone right now, counseling with someone right now who is scrambling, grasping, clawing, trying to get back his family because of some few moments of selfishness. And he may not ever get it back. I I hope he does. I'm not for the destruction of any family. But it may never come back. You know why? Selfishness. Selfishness achieves your desire, but forfeits your blessing. And oh, oh, he's forfeited it. Now look at his tone, it changes. And his tune, it changes. Verse 24, And Saul said unto Samuel, "Ah, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I, I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee. For thou hast rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold on the skirt of his mantle. I believe Saul was laying hold on the skirt of Saul's mantle. Saul was laying hold on the skirt of Samuel's mantle and, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Would you take your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel 18. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul. Oh, selfish. Do you see what I see? I mean, am I the only one in this room that sees what's going on in Saul's life? I mean, do you see the silly excuses? That he made? Do you see the, 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 the way that he substituted form uh, in, in place of substance? Do you see how he blames others when he's really put his feet to the fire? Do you see how he, he's achieved his desire and he got what he wanted, but he lost what he had? Oh, buckle your seatbelt. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, God fulfilled his promise that he made in 1 Samuel 15. He anointed, through Samuel, he anointed David to be the next king. In 1 Samuel 17, God's going to send David down to the battlefield, and he's going to do what one of Saul's men should have done. What Saul should have done. What Saul should have inspired his men to do. But Saul and all the men were hiding in the, in the, behind rocks and in their tents from Goliath. So David goes down, he says, what should be done to the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the, the armies of the living God? And David goes down with a slick and stone, kills Goliath, helped by God. Well, well Saul saw this and he knew this. Now, he had David into his courts to play a harp because an evil spirit from God came upon Saul to torment him. And the scripture tells us in 1 Samuel 18 that Saul sets David over his men of war. And when he does, they come back into the city of Jerusalem and the ladies are singing and dancing and clapping and rejoicing 
and they're saying Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And, and, and had Saul been a good king, are you thinking with me? If he had been a good leader, if he had been a secure man, honestly, Saul is one of the most insecure people in all the Bible. And, and you could study just on the subject of insecurity with Saul as your case study. If he had been a man of good character and a man of tall character, not just tall stature, you know what he would have said? Hey, this is good. <laughs> just a few verses ago, I set him over my men of war and other people see what I've seen. This is a mark of my good leadership, but he didn't say that at all. He got this squinty-eyed suspicion and he got the green-eyed monster of envy biting him in all the places in his life. And he said, I'll tell you, they're gonna have, he's going to have the kingdom. And he began to look at David through those eyes. And now he gives his daughter to marry David, Michal. You'd, you'd want to have a son-in-law like David. I mean, you really would. He was a lion killer and a bear killer and a giant killer. He was a man who walked with God. He was the sweet songwriter of Israel. He had written several songs already, and now he's going to write several more. He was a man who, who, who was tender and sensitive and a learner and teachable. He was a man that when confronted, he'd get things right. You'd want David to be your son-in-law. And Saul did, but not because he wanted Michael to have a good, good husband. Saul wanted to keep his friends close and his enemies closer. And now David had become one of his enemies. And do you know what, you know what, you know what Saul's going to do? He is going to rip the heart out of his daughter-in-law. He is going to manipulate her. He is going to get angry at her. Here in 1 Samuel 18, uh, the Bible says in verse number 17, uh, Saul said to David, Behold, my elder daughter Mirab, her will I give thee to wife. O only be thou valiant for me, and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, Let not my hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. So what is he going to do? He's going to try to destroy his son-in-law. And David said unto Saul, Who am I, and, and what is my life for my father's family in Israel, that I, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it came to pass at the time when Mirab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given unto Adriel the Mehelothite to wife. And Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and that thing pleased him. Saul said, I will give him her, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law in the one of the twain. Are you ready? Take your Bible and look at 1 Samuel 20. These points, these passages go to one point. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul. If only you'd see that your selfishness leads to disobedience. That it'll cause you to make silly excuses instead of claiming responsibility. That it'll substitute form for substance. That it'll play the blame game and blame others. That it will achieve your desire but forfeit your blessing. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 1. And David fled from Naoth in, the, in, before, in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is mine iniquity? And what is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? And he said unto him, God forbid, thou shalt not die. Behold, my father, this is Jonathan speaking, will do nothing either great or small, but that he will show it me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It, it is not so. And David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that, that I have found grace in thine eyes. And, and he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But, but truly as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. 
Then said Jonathan unto David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. And David said unto Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king at meat, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field unto the third day at even. If thy father at all miss me, then say David earnestly, Ask leave of me, that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all his family. So they make a plan, and uh, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan fulfills that plan. Look what the Bible says in in first uh, Samuel chapter 20 and verse number uh, verse number 28 and Jonathan answered Saul David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem and he said let me go I pray thee for our family hath a sacrifice in the city and my brother he hath commanded me to be there and now if I have found favor in thine eyes let me get away I pray thee and see my brethren therefore he cometh not unto the king's table because Saul had inquired verse number 30 watch it Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. Stop for a moment. This is not a point, but this is a side thought. Anger, uncontrolled anger, and selfishness are inextricably tied together. The Bible says, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. The Bible says, Make no friendship with an angry man and with a foolish man. Thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare unto thy soul. The Bible says, uh, the Bible says Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Anger and selfishness go hand in hand. I'm talking about uncontrolled, unrighteous anger. And in verse number 30, it says, Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said unto him, Thou son of a perverse, rebellious woman. <laughs> How'd you like that at the dinner table, huh? Do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger, And did eat no meat the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. Can I draw this to to, to, to a point? He's disregarded Michael, his daughter. He's disregarded David, his son-in-law. He's disregarded now Jonathan, who was one of the greatest men in the Bible. Are you ready? Selfishness destroys the people you should love the most. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul. Can't you see any of this? It's so obvious to those of us that are looking from the outside in. Selfishness destroys the people that you should love the most. How many of us could talk of stories and tell of individuals that we have known that have destroyed their own family because of their selfishness? Hmm. Look at chapter 28. Chapter 28. I just want to draw this to a quick close here tonight. And I don't want us to miss a single truth that God is laying before us concerning this awful, awful sin of selfishness. 1 Samuel chapter 28. Saul's, the hand of God is off of Saul completely. Saul is about to face the Philistines one final time. And he can't seem to get a word from the Lord. Samuel is dead. He died in 1 Samuel 25. 
In verse 3, now Samuel was dead and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits, that would be witches. And the wizards out of the land. Look, here. Look folks, I know that in just a few days there's going to be all kinds of craziness. Wizards and witches, that is not something that a Christian should be okay with. I was in Walmart in Butte just recently, and I, I was just looking at the DVD section, and I was shocked by the vile nature and satanic tone of most of what was there. That, that is not something a Christian should be okay with. And it was something that Saul had put them all away. Verse number, uh, verse number four, and the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not. Neither by dreams nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Remember I preached on Sunday about how God went silent after Malachi? Remember that? 400 years of silence. Why? Well, because God sent the prophet before. He sent the preacher before and people wouldn't listen and people wouldn't respond. And what happens when the people won't listen to the preacher who's preaching the word of God? God will say, I'll take away the preacher. He says as much in Revelation. He says, you better repent or I'm going to remove your candlestick. That's the preacher. That's the witness, the light, the one that's leading the congregation. You better repent or I'm going to remove that preacher. You take for granted the preacher. You take for granted the prophet. You take for granted my messenger. I'm going to remove him. Now he does with Saul. Verse number seven, then said Saul unto his servants, seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit. A witch, a palm reader, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And the story unfolds in verse 8 that Saul disguises himself. He puts on other raiment other than his royal raiment. And he comes to the woman at night, all a big secret. And he said, I pray thee divine unto me by the familiar spirit unto, and bring me up whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off all those that have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Oh, wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. Bring him back from the dead. I want to talk to somebody from the other side. Who, who do you want to talk to? I want to talk to Samuel. I can't get a voice from the Lord. I can't get a word from the Lord. Bring back my old friend Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spake to Saul and said, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. Are you ready? Selfishness. Leads you to choices you never thought you'd make. Is this Saul sneaking out at night without his secret service detail and without his royal robes? Yes. Is this Saul the one who was once humble in his own sight and small in his own eyes? Is this Saul 
The man who was once the, the, the great king of Israel, who was mightily used of God. Is this Saul? The one who banned all familiar spirits? The one who once prophesied before the Lord and before the prophets? Yes. How is it that he just went into the palm reader's house? One selfish step at a time. You could be a member of Whitehall Baptist Church. You could be a preacher here tonight. You could be someone walking in this place and singing the songs of Zion and lifting up the praise to the Most High God. And weeks, days, months from now, you could be in a place that you never thought you would ever be. And you'll get there one selfish step at a time. Look at 1 Samuel 31 and we're through tonight. The last chapter of Samuel is the last chapter in Saul's life. In verse number 1, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from, him, fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through, and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul, that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died. And his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men that same day together. Look at me and I'm through. Ladies and gentlemen, selfishness finally leads to a premature demise. Hold on to your selfishness. Go on with whatever selfish way that you've been choosing. And with whatever selfish habit. And with whatever selfish pattern. And with whatever selfish mindset. And with whatever selfish word. And with whatever selfish attitude. And with whatever selfish choice. Go on and hold on to it. Don't listen to the little blonde-headed midget preacher from North Carolina. Don't listen to the word of God as it's unfolded night after night. And week after week from this pulpit. Go ahead and go on with your own selfish way. But you mark my words. You'll end up in a premature grave. If you hold on to your selfishness as if it's some kind of treasure, some kind of gold piece, some kind of gem to be valued, it will lead to your certain destruction. So, so the men of Gilboa and the men of Benjamin would come out and they would scour the battlefield to try to find Saul's body. And they would get Saul to they would carry him away from the battlefield along with his three sons and his armor bearer. And they would try to give him a proper burial. And I'm sure all the while that they were carrying on these ceremonies